Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. And I saw a clip that, the, uh, you know, an airplane had struck one of the towers. And I, like most people, probably thought it was a, oh, no, I did indeed think it was just a, a, a terrific accident. And then, and then soon enough, the next one hit, and then it struck me. This is no accident. And I couldn't help but think of all of the dreams and lives, especially of the children, uh, that were now changed and devastated forever because their parents were no longer uh, people in their lives. And, and what was fascinating, truly, was that all the barriers were broken for many, many weeks. Uh, President Bush and Giuliani were united with people of different faiths and, and, and different um, different political persuasions, and everyone understood in one moment that they were just one American people. Probably that particular day, I would have to say, would be the most surreal day I can recall of my life. I will never forget 9-11. I will never forget what it did to this country. I will never forget what it did to our psyche, and I'll never, ever forget the warning that was delivered to us on that date. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Thursday, September 11th, 2014, episode 210. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show. Our listeners, frankly, are some of the most incredible people in the world. No, not just the world, the universe. And when 9-11 came up this year, we decided we wanted to do something, but we couldn't figure out what. Until we remembered those Tom Gully Show listeners patriotic bunch to be sure so we decided we'd interview them and they did not disappoint they gave us their personal simple stories of that fateful september day that stunned the greatest nation on earth hear stories of 9-11 told by our listeners tonight on the tom gully show uh my name's kurt uh i'm an advertising creative director i was just uh on that very morning, 9-11, I was getting ready for work and had the morning news on. And actually, I was late for work. And it was, well, it was about 9 o'clock, if I remember correctly. And I saw a clip that, the uh, you know, an airplane had struck one of the towers. 
and I, like most people, probably thought it was a, oh, no, I did indeed think it was just a, a, a terrific accident. And then, and then soon enough, the next one hit, and then it struck me. This is no accident. Um, <clears throat> I had a very strange feeling, you know, that, that I just, well, here, something is going on. It's probably 10 times bigger than what's happening right here on the TV. It's probably happening all over the United States. And, uh. I immediately called some of my family members. The phones were inundated already by that time. It didn't take long. And, but I still went to work. Everybody showed up, and they're all kind of ashen, white-faced, and, and just dumbstruck and uh, talking about it and then following the news. But everybody still went to work. And I'm thinking, the last thing I'm going to do is head to downtown Dallas. And... Uh, Thank goodness I didn't work in downtown Dallas, and I'm thinking of the people working in the towers and stuff like that. But um, I think I was numb more than anything for a while until it really set in, uh, the gravity of it and the sheer weight of it. Uh, I knew that things would never be the same after that, and I, even on that very day, started to think of what was going to happen next uh, to our government, to the public, uh, you know, what was going to happen in the Middle East, you know, and even this is actually, I, I, I had those thoughts later. We didn't know who it was at the time. That's true. But on that very day, though, you could tell that things were never, ever going to be the same. That was kind of my feelings. Well, yeah, I, immediately I was thinking, wow, you know, we're usually so prepared for things. And we were caught so flat footed by this. It is absolutely unbelievable. Military, civilian uh, alike. Uh, that's didn't strike me at that very moment, but shortly after the incident, uh, I, I was like, everybody, I couldn't believe how flat-footed we were, you know, how unprepared we were. And knowing the depth of the, of the intelligence of the government and the military, uh, it just still strikes me to this day that we had to have known something, you know. But from a military standpoint, yeah, you get angry immediately, I think, in most people who served in the military would just kind of immediately kind of get those feelings because right? you, you just get angry and yeah, there are thoughts of retribution, but nowhere to point it at the moment. Uh, my name is Cheryl and on September 11th, I was on my way back from the chiropractor when I got a call from my investor out of Minnesota telling me what happened to the first tower and telling me to race home and watch the news, which I did and sat on the couch and watched the second tower go down. Um, I probably, like most Americans, uh, felt the after effects for, for many days and hours and really months later, uh, stayed pretty glued to the television because I'm a children's film producer and I couldn't help but think of all of the dreams and lives, especially of the children, uh, that were now changed and devastated forever because their parents were no longer, uh, people in their lives. And so, um, I watched, uh, Dreams uh, die in the Midwest. Uh, fortunately, thank God, I didn't have family members there. But I do have uh, a strong family history of military service, including a sister and a brother-in-law who are proud Marines. And my father was a construction worker. And I think what was the neatest for me to see was later that year on Halloween, which is coming up shortly, firefighters, police officers, and construction workers were the three top Halloween costumes, according to USA Today, just after uh, 9-11. And that really made me feel proud as an American because my father is an iron worker and has been a union member for over 50 years. 
And to know that I came from a hardworking blue collar family uh, that was uh, ethnic by nature and came over uh, from a couple of generations ago and to know that he chose a career and a livelihood for our family that, that made a powerful impact uh, in the rescue efforts and the rebuilding efforts of New York uh, just 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 made some sense out of a out of a senseless situation for me. And I just thank God that uh, people hopefully are are moving forward, rebuilding their lives, rebuilding their buildings, and most importantly, rebuilding their faith because faith is the only thing that makes sense uh, at senseless times in our country and in our world in general. Okay, hi, my name is Don, and my wife and I had just gotten back late the night before from a a week in Florida fishing in the Everglades with my parents. And our our plane arrived late on the 10th in the morning. Her back was hurting. She went to the chiropractor, and I was preparing to go to work. And my father called me and said, Don, turn on the news. You're not going to believe what's happening. And so I turned on the news, and I watched what was happening. And, and was devastated because I realized then that our country had lost whatever innocence it had. And that um, we didn't realize then that it was an Islamic attack. We just couldn't imagine what it really was. But we did know we were under attack. And, and then the, <clears throat> watching the whole country shut down and every airport in the country shut down clearly uh, helped us realize how fragile our, our social system really is and, and how quickly things can change. Uh, but then again, I was devastated by how things changed for all those families, realizing what happened in Pennsylvania and how brave people chose to sacrifice their lives for let the plane go into the Pentagon. And, and what was fascinating truly was that all the barriers were broken for many, many weeks. Uh, President Bush and Giuliani were united with people of different faiths and, and, and different um, different political persuasions, and everyone understood in one moment that we were just one American people, and we needed to rebuild the country. So at the end of the day, we drifted away from that, and it's become mean-spirited again, but I do remember those moments, and I remember what it can be like. Hi, my name is Brian, and I recall watching the 9-11 coverage somewhat accidentally as I was watching one of the news channels that morning. And as I looked up, I saw the second plane go into the second tower live as it was happening and didn't even know or realize what I was watching. I remember thinking at the time I was horrified that it was a possible single plane accident, just just maybe a pilot error of some sort or malfunction of the air, airplane. And as I watched it go into the building, I, I was just mortified. And to find out the magnitude of what was going on as it unfolded, it uh, clearly put me in a complete state of shock for a long time, uh, throughout that day for sure. And then I can't, I mean, it seemed like days and maybe weeks afterwards, um, it was it was just a complete surreal, surreal moment. Probably that particular day, I would have to say, would be the most surreal day I can recall of my life. And as I think back on it even, it, it's still hard to believe that it actually happened. So um, God bless the 3,000 plus people that were that were murdered that day. 
Hey, this is Craig. I'm a, an actor entertainer based in Marietta, Georgia. And 11 years ago, I was living in LA and got a call from a friend of mine who works at Turner telling me to turn on my television. And I, I was literally just waking up and had no idea what was going on and thought that there had to have been a mistake. Um, uh, the, I remember Katie Couric saying that they, that they originally thought that a small plane, like a, a light plane, had somehow veered off course and, and flown into the towers. And then the, the true enormity of the tragedy really started to sink in. And I was riveted and had a full day of auditions and things in front of me. And soon, you know, the calls and emails came in that everything was canceled and people were closing things down and it was just hideous. And I gathered some friends together and um, we actually had a, a, a service that night and did a lot of praying and just sort of caring for one, one another. And I just, I've, I've never experienced like a day like that ever in my life. And I hope to never have to experience one like that ever again. And I'm just, I'm grateful for the men and women who um, sacrificed themselves that day, um, especially the, the two planes that were driven down and did not make their targets the way that they were supposed to. Um, and I pray that we never forget because to forget would be to repeat history again and we can't afford to do that. Well, hi, this is Larry. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, share my uh, memories of uh, 9-11. I recall that my day, uh, I had owned my own business, but my day had gotten to start a little late because my uh, the day before was my wife's birthday and we had been out celebrating. So uh, I was in sh lathered up and shaving when uh, my phone rang and someone asked me if I was watching, uh, at that time, CNN. I said, well, I got the television on, but I'm actually, you know, in shaving. Well, you got to go watch, go, go turn to CNN. I did, and I saw that, uh, you know, a plane had struck the first tower. And I think, like so many, uh, I stood watching, trying to figure out exactly what had happened. My first thought was, well, maybe a private plane had had struck. And uh, as I continued watching, of course, I saw what millions of other Americans saw, and that was the second plane uh, coming in low and disappearing behind the first tower and suddenly fall of fire. And that moment had a tremendous, tremendous impact on me because I recognized immediately what the situation was. Um, how it affected me, um, it affected me in so many ways. Uh, absolute, actually, uh, the same way that uh, I think it affected the entire com country. Um, the terrorists won that day. There is no, uh, no other other answer than the terrorists won that day, uh, and it impacted me so deeply, um, both from a personal and spiritual and business standpoint. Um, I recognize that the most prophetic 
statement made by any of the newscasters on that day was the quote, nothing will ever be the same again. And it never has been. Um, about uh, two months later, I actually flew into Washington, D.C., into uh, Ronald Reagan Airport. And um, it was the first day that the airport had opened up. And uh, I had a meeting, actually, uh, at the uh, Office of Management and Budget uh, in Washington, D.C. on that day. And I noticed that when we flew in, uh, that I could see to the right, or excuse me, the left side of the plane, the Pentagon. And I realized that we were flying in straight over the Potomac River. Um, And I I was with a client and I said to him, they've got us coming in uh, at a completely different angle than is typical. So what do you mean? I said, we're going straight down the Potomac River. I said, the uh, Pentagon should be on our right, not on our left. And he asked me why, and I said, because if they need to shoot us down, we'll fall in the river. That's my only guess. Uh, Ever since that, when I was on that trip, I went to the the, uh, National Press Club, and they actually had a limited number of, of special posters that they had printed up, and I was fortunate enough to buy one, and it features the front page from about 21, I believe, different uh, uh, newspapers from around the world all telling the story. And I, I'll never forget that the one that stood out the most was the headline, Bastards. Um, about a year later, my son gave me a metal plaque that says, God bless America, September 11, 2001, United We Stand, and it has a an icon of the Twin Towers. And on the back it says, Psalm 37, in memory of those who perished, cast in the USA with steel from the World Trade Center, IAM, copyright 2001. And apparently this was... Um, made from some of the metal that uh, some scrappers had had taken into uh, Alabama and uh, had started casting these things before they were finally seized, but I guess I was fortunate enough to get one. And uh, it sits in my my office, and I see it on a daily basis. Uh, I will never forget 9-11. I will never forget what it did to this country. I'll never forget what it did to our psyche and... I'll never, ever forget the warning that was delivered to us on that date. Okay. Well, my name is Kim, and I am a uh, booking agent for the Texas music community. And let's see, I was was actually out of the country when 9-11 happened. I was um, on the Yucatan Peninsula, the rural island of Cozumel. And we found out about it. A friend that had lived there had came rushing to the hotel to say, you know, the towers have blown up, towers have blown up. Of course, it's very broken English, so we couldn't make a lot of sense out of it. But we, you know, had gotten up and were rushing to find, keep in mind, the hotel we were in, the room we were in, had no TV. So we were rushing to try to find a television with American channels on it. And on our way out, um, normally the, the window 
and the, the doors from our hotel room looked out over the ocean, and it was just a beautiful view. That morning, specifically, as we were rushing to get out of the room, we realized our beautiful view of the ocean had been clouded by fully armed military ships. So it was quite frightening. We, we just didn't understand. We had, you know, just no, no real information. So we got to a little restaurant that had, um, had an American TV channel, and they were airing um, the towers going down and everything that had happened. So, you know, naturally our first instinct is we need to get out of here. We need to go home because my daughter, um, my whole family, and I had just moved from New York, so I have a lot of loved ones there. But my daughter was back here in Texas. So it was just so sickening to know that you're so far away and, and that kind of a tragedy has taken place. So when we contacted the airport, they said, sorry, there's no plane flying. So we tried to book um, a ship, and there were, there were no ship sailings. The borders to the country were completely closed. And that's a pretty, pretty gross feeling, knowing that, you know, you can't go home. Everything you love is locked away from you. So it was, uh, it was a real eye-opening experience. I, I stated that that day I learned what homesickness meant, and, and I, really, I really mean that. It, it was devastating. What was supposed to be just a long weekend, you know, on a beautiful island turned into several extra days of worrying every moment and awaiting the word that the ban had been lifted so we could return home. Thanks, Tom. My name's Dave Pilot. Um, I'm an information technology professional by trade uh, during the day. Uh, real life, as you well know, I like to do other things, but um, you've got to pay the bills somehow, and technology's always been the best way to do that. Well, for the last quarter of a century, give or take, I've lived in Texas, but during the period of time when September 11th occurred, I, I was actually in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd relocated out there uh, for a period of about 18 months uh, with with the job that I had at the time, uh, just the, the typical corporate reorganization thing. So I went out there and played the game for a little while before I could come back home. So I, I was completely out of state, away from home and out of my element on, on the day of the attacks. It, the building where I worked was in downtown Charlotte, right across the street from the Bank of America Tower. And uh, anyone who's familiar with Charlotte understands that's the, the largest city or was the, was the largest building, I should say, in the city at the time. Uh, I think it's grown quite a bit over the years, but uh, you know that that was the landmark. It was a it was a Bank of America town, and that was the Bank of America headquarters. The building I was working in was right across the street. Um, we were uh, we were part of an email team dealing with Microsoft Exchange and Outlook and whatnot. So we had a little lab environment where we worked uh, deep inside a building. We were above ground level but inside completely secluded and away from the world. So no windows, you couldn't, didn't have any ability to see what was going on outside. Um, you know, we had the internet at the time, but we were working. We were a bunch of tech geeks so nobody was online farting around. We had stuff to do. We were playing with some cool new stuff and had some support calls coming in. So a bunch of things going on and we were just busy, just doing our thing, running the world from our little darkened corner of the cubicle prairie. And about mid-morning, our boss came in. Uh, she's an older lady, one of the, the best people I've ever worked for. Just a sweet, sweet woman. And uh, 
a hardened professional and she'd seen it all. She, she'd been around. She knew how the world worked. You couldn't surprise her with anything. Well, she'd been uh, running a little late that morning. She, uh, she came into the office about mid-morning and just kind of walked in and off the cuff threw off a remark that on the radio on the way in, she had heard that an airplane had flown into the World Trade Center. And that was the first we'd heard anything about it. My first reaction was to crack up laughing. I, I had a picture in my head of, you know, a little Piper Cub and some idiot kid from mom and daddy's rich estate up in the Hamptons trying to impress his girlfriend, got in way over his head and flew into a building. I thought it was hilarious. And nothing else about it, nothing to think about. We went back to work doing our thing. A few minutes later, probably probably five, seven minutes later, somebody came from down the hall. There was a, a network operations command center down the hall, and they were connected to the outside world. They had several uh, big screen TVs watching events and whatnot. Somebody came in from down there and said, hey, have you guys heard the news? What news? What are you talking about? Well, somebody flew a plane into the World Trade Center. But yeah, we heard that. I was still laughing, making an absolute ass of myself, as I would find out in a couple of seconds. And the person just turned around and looked at me and said, how can you think that's funny? I said, what, a little little plane? Somebody threw, the, threw flew mommy and daddy's little plane into the World Trade Center? It's hilarious. And the lady said, no, no, this was a jetliner. What? Just the whole... The whole thing changed right then. All of us who'd been laughing and joking and convinced that we understood everything and everyone else in the world must be an idiot just stopped and looked at each other and said, how do you fly a jetliner into the World Trade Center? And it was right about that time someone else came running down the hall from the command center and said, another plane just hit. We have to be under attack. And, of course, that stopped everything. The, the, no more jokes, no more laughing, no more nothing. And, frankly, no time to, to feel stupid or, or feel bad for having laughed to begin with because all of a sudden we're in a disaster recovery and management mode. Um, you know, the company I was working for at the time had a significant presence in New York, uh, a significant presence in the financial district. And, boy, all of a sudden we had to know where are our people, what's going on. And so we started uh, tearing up the phone lines, trying to contact some of our remote centers, understand where people are, are they safe, what else is going on, start kicking in, you know, standard disaster recovery and business continuity plans that every company has to begin preparing for failover to alternate sites in the event that, you know, we lost connectivity, um, and then trying to coordinate efforts. And as I said, we're part of the email team. As part of the messaging group, of course, we also had responsibility for instant communications. So, uh, you know, suddenly our, our role was very crucial. It was how do we make sure that everybody in the company can communicate by whatever means necessary. Obviously, telephony and things like that weren't on our table, but all the other standard modes of electronic communication, were those were our baby. So we were scrambling to make sure our backup servers operational or things in place or things where they need to be. And that really kind of took over precedent of everything for the next hour or so. Um, once that rush subsided and we felt like we knew where everything was, we felt like we knew where our people were from, from the technology side of our organization. Then it was just a question of waiting to hear what's going on with the business folks. It, has there been impact to any of the, you know, the trading people, those facilities? 
waiting for that word to filter in and all of us thinking about friends that we had in New York, you know, people that we'd been at conferences with, you know, the week before, people that we talked to on a daily basis and just beginning to wonder who's where, who's okay, what's going on. That was when it first really had a chance to sink in. After a while, as, as calls died down, we didn't have any work on our plate. We all kind of wandered down the hall to the command center. And that was, uh, that was our first chance to actually see what was going on. And it, it went from something that was very real to us and it kicked us into disaster recovery and business continuity mode to something that was intensely real and intensely personal. And we all just kind of stopped in our tracks and it was a group of guys that always had something to say. We were just, you know, always back and forth, jawing this, that, and the other, and that we, none of us could talk that day. Just quiet, standing there, staring at that TV, watching those images come in, beginning to realize the magnitude of what had really occurred. And then it dawned on all of us kind of at the same time um, that this could get a lot more personal very, very quickly. We started to think about geographically where we were located if somebody had attacked um, you know, Manhattan as the leading financial district in the United States, what reason was there to think, particularly as the other planes started to not be accounted for as the plane hit the Pentagon, you had the one that was circling out in Pennsylvania, and you realize this thing isn't over yet. What else is going on? And of course, nobody had an answer. And we started to think, we are at the corner of the main intersection at downtown of the country's second largest financial center, that building across the street says Bank of America headquarters on it. If you're trying to attack symbols, what are you gonna hit next? And we all started looking around at each other thinking, well, shit, how, how far and how fast we need to duck. And then of course, we all started thinking about our families. Um, you know, I had uh, my, my first wife at the time, and uh, we, had, we had twins. Uh, they were, oh, I guess they were four back then. No, they were three. And uh, you just started to think, wait, so how quickly can I get to them, but can I go? Because I, I still have people on the ground in Manhattan who are counting on me for communications. That could be life and death. And you start to play that out through your head and think, and how, how, how do I manage this? What's the right answer? And what are the chances that I become a target? And as we started to think about all those things and realize we did still have some work to do and also began to realize the command center was on the side of the building closer to uh, the big skyscraper across the street, um, we all kind of went back to our workspace and, and felt like we were bunkered in for a little bit. I can't say we felt safe, but felt like we were bunkered in and began to very quickly run through the checklist of things that we knew we had to take care of. It was about that time that word came down that uh, downtown Charlotte was going to be evacuated. Uh, the police were beginning to walk off the streets and uh, funnel traffic out of town. And, you know, we, we, for lack of a better term, stayed at our post for a little while longer, made sure that everything that we could possibly do was taken care of and accounted for, while at the same time, ensuring that our teammates in other parts of the country were uh, were online and coming up to speed and ready to take over so that we could get the hell out of Dodge. As all of that came down and we were able to wrap up our piece of the puzzle, 
and get to where we could leave. Uh, of course, by that time, most of uh, the big office buildings around downtown Charlotte had already emptied out. And um, it was the strangest thing, uh, walking out of the building that was always just bustling and noisy. Uh, all the buildings in downtown Charlotte have, um, you know, shops and restaurants and things down on the ground floor level. It's a, it's a pretty vibrant urban center. Um, it was weird. You walked downstairs, you know, there was no wait for the elevator. You got downstairs, there was nobody. The, the buildings were empty. It was already a ghost town, and it was unsettling. I, I, I mean, there, there were nights where you'd have something going on in the middle of the night. It happens from time to time in the IT world, and you're on call around the clock. And, you know, you, you walk out of the building sometimes at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and there was still something. There, there was somebody around, people working an overnight shift, somebody to talk to, some little all-night store or restaurant. And this day, there was nothing inside the building. It was an absolute ghost town. It was the it was the most unsettling feeling I'd had to that point in my work experience. But then you walk outside, and the streets were jammed. And you thought, how am I supposed to get anywhere? It was a, it was a complete traffic jam, the likes of which I've never seen in my life. It took me about 25 minutes to walk from the building to the parking lot where I'd put my truck. It was usually a you know seven ten minute walk, but just trying to negotiate across the streets that were so jam packed, nobody paying attention to traffic lights or anything else. Everybody in a hurry to get out of downtown because they felt like they were a target. It took a long time just to get to my truck, and by the time I got to it, I, there was nowhere to go. the The drive home, which usually from downtown Charlotte was you know thirty thirty five minutes in traffic, took me nearly three. And the first two and a half of that were just getting out of the downtown area. It was an incredibly uncomfortable feeling. Of course, you had the radio tuned in, listening to hear what's going on, what's the latest news, what else has happened, just how much are we under attack? Can I get out, grab somebody's bike off the sidewalk and pedal home to my kids faster than I can get there sitting in this traffic? And the whole time, looking up at the sky. You know, Charlotte has a, a fairly busy airport. It's the, the hub for, I think it's U.S. Air, and a lot of business travel uh, for all the three major banks that are located there. And you look up and just trying to trying to see through the skyscrapers, is there another plane coming? If there is, is it anywhere near a building I'm close to? Which way is the building probably going to fall if it hits it? Where can I go? And there, there just weren't answers for any of that. So all you could do was sit there with the radio blaring, not understanding what was really going on. No one had information, so you knew everybody was in the same boat that you were, but still, you don't know. And all you could do was sit there, listen, try to piece it together, keep an eye peeled for planes in the sky while you tried to keep an eye on all the idiots in traffic around you who were just as terrified as you were trying to get out of downtown and trying to put some space between them and the buildings. I, I've never seen that many people all at once trying to get a whole lot of gone between them and their surroundings. It, it made pulling out of a stadium parking lot after a playoff game seem like an absolute walk in the park, something you do on the first day of driver's ed. It, it was crazy. Cars up on the sidewalks, police attempting to direct traffic, but they were looking at the sky too. And it just, it, it was as close to chaos as I've ever seen. 
by the time I finally got home and, and, and then could really begin to watch it all unfold in sequence as all the different news channels played it back and went through the timeline and the chronology and you could begin to really get a picture of what had actually occurred. And that's when it went from being a, well, you know, somebody's probably after us, gee, I wonder what they're going to do to, well, shit, we're, we're actually legitimately under attack. And I don't, I don't want to overplay it or oversell it, but for, you know, for our generation, especially with, with the communication, the, the television and broadcast capabilities and whatnot, the, the media concentration that was available that day, you know, I think we got some sense of what people felt like on December 7th back in 41. And it, it was unsettling, to say the least. I don't remember ever feeling that unsettled, that disturbed, that, frankly, afraid ever before in my life. And as the day progressed, it was interesting. I went from being afraid to being morbidly angry. I, I was looking at my kids and of course they didn't get it. They're little, they're toddlers. They don't understand why, you know, dad's home early and doesn't want to play. And you try to get them settled to look again, to see what's going on, what's really happening. And they'd get angry. They're feeling like they're being <clears throat> ignored. And I was torn because I, I needed to know what was going on. I needed to know what the options were. I needed to know how quickly we needed to get completely away from the city and out into the country. But at the same time, I, I needed to look at my kids because they're the future. I, I needed to see them and understand that we've got to figure out what's going on here. We've all got to figure out what we are going to have to do to do our part to protect kids and to protect the future. And of course, there were so many unanswered questions that day. It, there was no way to tell when you were just taking it way too far and, and running with something that, you know, in hindsight, you'd look back and go, boy, that was an overreaction. But that day, at that point in time, as the, as the afternoon unfolded, it felt like there couldn't be any such thing as an overreaction. It was, it was terrible. It, it was the worst thing I've ever experienced. And I'll never forget you know, two things stick with me from that whole experience. The first one is sitting there watching, watching on live TV and you'd see those people up on the upper floors and they were looking out and you were thinking, come on, get out, get out, get out. You know, hope springs eternal, right? But where are they going to go? There's nowhere to go. And eventually I remember seeing the first one jump and for just a second, I was happy. I thought, oh, made it. Way to go. Because in my head, you know, there, there's going to be firemen down there on the street with one of them big bounce house mat thingies, right? Because that'll help from 80-something floors up. And, you know, the, the realization dawned just a, you know, a split second later, you go from relief thinking, oh, you made it out to thinking, holy, holy shit, you, what, whatever was behind you was worse than what you just stepped off into. And I didn't know if it was the bravest thing I'd ever seen in my life or the most horrible or some combination of both. And it was weird as, you know, you started to see more of that as it all unfolded and you began to realize, you know, it's, they're, they're being burned alive in there. These people are choosing to step off into free space, knowing that, you know, death comes quickly 
that's a better alternative for them than than what's waiting for them inside. And as they'd step off and you just, your heart would break and you'd send out a prayer for them and you'd think, you know, God, I hope your eyes are closed. I hope it goes fast and I hope it doesn't hurt. And you'd look at them and just for that first brief moment as they arced out away from the building, it, there was some kind of stark, morbid grace and almost a beauty to it. It, it was like fate was saying, you got a rotten deal. Here's a last fleeting glimpse of beauty before the concrete. And I, I couldn't take my eyes away from it. I didn't want to see it, but I couldn't pull my eyes away. And you begin to see more and more of those bodies just, just launching and hurtling toward the earth. And I, I just, I still can't get that image out of my mind. And, you know, about a year later, I, w- I was able to move, uh, Back to back to Texas, um, keep my job at the company I was at, but get back to Texas and away from Charlotte. And our office building in downtown Dallas uh, was one of the larger buildings downtown. And so I got back here. You know, time had passed. We'd all adjusted a little. And you you think, well, you know, yeah, that that was bad, but it's in the past, and we're still here. And flag still waves proudly from the walls. And then I then I had to go to downtown Dallas my first day back, and I had to get in that elevator and go up to about the 32nd floor. And uh, I hadn't thought much about it, same place I used to work before I moved to Charlotte. Got out, walked around in my cube, and looked out the glass windows and realized where I was and just got petrified. I, I thought... What, what in the world are we doing? Why, why, why aren't we working on the ground? This, this is nuts. And, you know, a couple of days later, we had a big meeting. It was up, uh, I think it was the 62nd, 63rd floor of that building. You go up there and it's a conference room and big windows all the way around. And you realize you're just up in the air like a sitting duck and the, the memories are still fresh and clear. And, uh, you know, downtown Dallas is right across the flight path into Love Field. So we're uh, we're sitting up there in our meeting, and you look out the window, and here comes a jet. It's a Southwest Airlines jet. It's on approach to Love Field, the same thing they've been doing for years. And used to be fun to watch when we'd worked in that building before. It, it, you looked around the table, and everybody was shifting in their chairs looking for the elevator. It, instinctively hoping to dive on the floor as if it's going to do you a bit of good. But, you know, you, you think you see it coming and suddenly you think, well, now I know what it looks like. And it was a, it was a unique kind of terror that I've never experienced before or since. And, uh, frankly don't care to, but it, it just reminded me that day, you know, I had, I had thought since September 11th, I'd done a good job of kind of putting it all behind and I realized that day sitting in that conference room on the 63rd floor in downtown Dallas watching a jet on its normal flight path. I thought, yeah, now I understand exactly what those bastards took from us. Um, you know, I, knew, I knew exactly at that moment what they'd taken from me because I was afraid to, to show up and do my job. And you extrapolate that to the, the personal experiences across the rest of the nation, and you, you begin to realize just how much we lost. Uh, even those of us who were thousands of miles away that day, you, you begin to realize just how much was taken. 
And, you know, there's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of ways we could go with that. We could talk about uh, the unity that was there for the nation after that event. We could talk about how wonderful it felt to see all those members of Congress standing out on the, the I think it was the steps of the Capitol on the night of the attack, singing God Bless America and, you know, how much we felt like one nation for a while. We can talk about all that, but look how much we've lost since then. Look, look what our leaders have done with it. Look at the advantages and the excesses that have taken place with our freedoms. Look at the things that we've given up voluntarily um, just in a quest to feel safe since that day. And I don't know. I, everybody's got their own take and opinion on that, and I'm not going to get into mine or say who's right or who's wrong, but I, I don't think it, any of us can escape the fact that we all remember exactly where we were that day. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we all have to be able to agree we've lost a lot since then. And I think, uh, I think as we look back and remember those people who took that plunge out of the towers, um, you think about the first responders, the people who, who gave their lives saving others. You think about all the sacrifices and the heroism <clears throat> that came out of the day in addition to the tragedy. And then you look at what we as a nation and a people have done with it since I think there's some tough questions there. And I think a lot of people don't think about that stuff on these days because we get caught up in the memories and justifiably so. But I think if we don't ask ourselves the question, what exactly have we allowed to be taken from us from that terrible day? And conversely, what have we done or what are we doing to retain our identity as Americans, as a free and independent people? I think if we don't do that, then we dishonor the memory and, uh, some of the sorrow and the loss is kind of cheapened. That's uh, that's my take, and that's what I remember, Tom. We'd like to thank our listeners for sharing their personal accounts and for being so, man, so incredibly wonderful to the Tom Gully Show. I cannot tell you how amazing you crazy, brilliant, funny, passionate gang of uh, uber genius, technology, nerd, retro, creative, slacker, achiever people are. Uh, to me and to the, the rest of the folks that work on the show. Uh, keep telling us what you like, and we'll keep trying to serve it up. Uh, huh. And I promised I'd say hi to all the truckers. Hi, guys. You know, keep Smokey Bear off your back door. 10-4, good buddy. Folks, we'd appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show, not me, but the show on Facebook, too, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find everything about the show, like the store, 
trucker friends. There's hoodies. Trucker guys, I know, sometimes like the hoodie. And we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes for free, because if it's free, it is for me. Follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka. And stop emailing me about that. I, I'll tell you what it means some other time. Uh, so I can increase my clout and cred ratings, because if I get enough points, we're all going to go to the aces. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. You know, each night, Jay Johnson, who right this minute is at Love and War in Texas, the Grapevine uh, edition, doing a 9-11 benefit concert, I believe. And I can't be there because I'm doing this. He brings us in with the truth wagon. We're going to take you out with Catch-22 Blues by the Hitman Blues Band like we always do. Go to hitmanbluesman.net and I think .com as well. One of those you get like nine free blues songs by the Hitman Blues Band, my favorite blues band. Free. I think you get on their mailing list and stuff. They're just, come on, the name alone. Russell Alexander and the boys. Uh... I got to go talk to some people. I think I already said that, but we'll see you next time. Oh, by the well, we'll see you next time. Well, the bucket lifts a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat. A raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night While you hold your baby tight But he don't want you You can see it in his eyes From the way he tells you lies